0: Good morning. If you would go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 24, Joshua chapter 24, and as you're turning there, uh, let me just say very quickly, it is a huge honor for us to be here with you this morning. I just want to say thank you to pastors John and Jonathan for opening up your pulpit, uh, allowing me to do this. Uh, Let me say this as well. We love calling covenant our home. Our family loves this church, and we are thrilled uh, to be here with you this morning. Joshua 24, we're going to look specifically this morning at verses 1 through 15. Joshua 24, 1 through 15. And before we read God's word, let us pray together and ask his blessing on it. Father, we love you this morning, and we ask your blessing and your grace on this time together. Father, we are your people, your people are gathered together to hear from you this morning. They have not gathered to hear from me. We hear from you, and so, Father, we ask that you would speak to us through your word. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate our minds so that we may understand your word. We ask, God, that you would clear our minds of distractions and and heaviness and things that we brought in here with this morning. And Father, we ask, Lord, even for myself, I pray for the speaker, God, that you would speak through me. God, that you would anoint me, Father, as a burning man of passion for your word, but you would also allow me to be a humble servant that is faithful to your word, to speak only what you would say. So, Father, anoint my lips. And we do all this for your glory in Jesus' name. amen. Amen. Joshua 24, starting in verse 1, let's read. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, and he summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates. Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. And then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau, and I gave Esau the hill country of Seir to possess. But Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward I brought you out. And then I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your fathers with chariots and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, he put darkness between you and the Egyptians, and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. And you lived in the wilderness a long time. Then I brought you to the land of the Amorites, who lived on the other side of the Jordan. They fought with you, and I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land. I destroyed them before you. Then Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, arose and fought against Israel. And he sent and invited Balaam, the son of Beor, to curse you. But I would not listen to Balaam. Indeed, he blessed you. So I delivered you out of his hand. And you went over the Jordan and came to Jericho. And the leaders of Jericho fought against you. And also the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And I gave them into your hand. And I sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you, the two kings of the Amorites. It was not by your sword or by your bow. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities that you had not built, and you dwell in them. You eat the fruit of vineyards and olive orchards that you did not plant. And verse 14, here's the switch, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This ends the reading of God's holy, inspired, and errant word. May he write its eternal truth upon our heart. Amen. Amen. Here in this passage, Joshua is gathering Israel at a place called Shechem. Israel has been positioned in the land officially. And after years of conquest and battling over the land, Joshua is gathering the people. And he is essentially going to uh, lead them in a reaffirmation of the covenant. And here's essentially what he's going to do. He's saying this, in view of everything that God has done for you. In view of the mercies that God has shown you, in view of the provision and the grace and the blessing and the deliverance, on and on and on. In view of those things, that should produce a proper response to God. And he lists a couple of things and we're going to look at a few of those this morning and see if we can glean something from ourselves. So I just have three quick points for us. And it's essentially this, in view of the mercies of God, we must fear him, we must recognize him, and we must choose him. Number one, in view of the mercies of God, we must fear him. Look back with me at verse 14a, the first part of verse 14 there. He says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Therefore, all the English majors in here know what that means. Therefore, as a result of what has just happened of the history of God's faithfulness and His provision, therefore fear the Lord. Now, what do we mean by fear? It's often a misunderstood term in our churches. But let me give you a very brief, simple, biblical definition of fear. When we say fear, it's essentially this. It is the expression of true, genuine, sincere faith. The expression of true, genuine, sincere faith. It is essentially walking in the ways of God following the Lord with all of your heart and loving Him with all of your being. It it is walking before God in an awe-inspiring reverence at His greatness. It is being so overwhelmed at the greatness and the goodness and the holiness of God that it produces right behavior. And that fear is absolutely essential for the Christian life. Why? Why? Why fear? Because let me say this. Without a biblical, healthy fear of the Lord, you and I cannot truly know God. We can't. Some of you may be familiar with Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Famous verse there. The what? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Not yes. Wisdom, knowledge, you, you read all throughout the Proverbs, those two terms together, wisdom, knowledge, wisdom, knowledge, bind them on your heart, put them around your neck, don't forget those things. What are we talking about? We're talking about the knowledge and the wisdom of the Christian life. The knowledge and the wisdom of the Christian life. So essentially what the writer is saying is that without a biblical fear of God, we cannot live the Christian life. Psalm 36 verse 1 contrast Proverbs 1.7 when it says this. It says that transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart and there is no fear of God before his eyes. You see that? You see, for the wicked, there is no fear of God before their eyes. They hate the things of God. They don't care about what God thinks. They're not ashamed of their sin. It's no, no bother. They don't, they don't care what God thinks about their sin. But for the righteous, a biblical fear of God is absolutely essential for your life because it produces the right response. Years ago, I, uh, I was a young, budding teenager, and I don't know what I had in me this day. This was either just a lot of testosterone, hormones, Or just plain outright stupidity on this day. But I'll never forget the day that I decided I was going to challenge my dad. And some of you men in here, you probably have a very similar experience with your father. I said, I'm going to challenge my old man. And I don't remember what I did or what I said. But I will never forget his response. He looked right at me and he said, son, if you ever do or say that again. He said, you better be ready to fight. He said, because I will take you out. And because I enjoyed living, <laughs> I never crossed my dad again. Now, why? Was I, af- was I afraid that he was going to fly off the handle like he was out of control? No, he was a good man. He loved me. I wasn't afraid that he would lose control. I feared what he had the ability to do, but that he- what he never did. I had a new respect for the position of authority that he had in my life. And that produced a right behavior before him. See, fear of the Lord is absolutely essential for the Christian life. And I'll be honest, I'll say this. I think one of the biggest things missing in our churches today is a fear of God. One of the biggest things that I think we're missing in so many of our churches is a, is a reverent view of Almighty God. What would our churches look like? What would our, our behavior, our lifestyle, our speech look How would that change if I truly felt like I was walking before almighty God in reverent awe of him? See, Jesus said that we'll give an account of every single word that we've spoken. That should cause us to tremble a little. The fear of the Lord is essential for the Christian life. So in view of the mercies of God, let us fear him. Number two. In view of the mercies of God, let us not only fear the Lord, but let us recognize Him. Look with me at verse 14b, the second half of verse 14. He says, To put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. Put away the gods. If that sounds familiar to you, it's, it's very similar language to the introduction to the Ten Commandments. You remember that? Have no other gods before me. See, God is very, very serious about this concept of I am to be your only God. You serve me and you serve nothing else. The the fear of the Lord and recognizing him as the only God that we serve. Here is essentially what Israel is being asked to recognize. It is this. They must recognize that the only one true God is a jealous God. And he will not share his affections with another. I remember years ago I saw a video of um, Oprah Winfrey. No, I don't watch her show. But I remember watching uh, this video where she shared an experience that she had at an early uh, uh, stage in life. She says, I remember being uh, 22 years old, sitting in this Baltimore church. And she says, the preacher was talking about how God was a jealous God. She said, I'll never forget sitting back there being a 22-year-old thinking to myself, how can this all-powerful, all-loving God be jealous of me? Do you see her problem? Her problem is that she misunderstands the Bible and that she fails to see that God is not jealous of us as if we have anything to offer him at all. He's not in need of anything. But he's a God that's jealous of us. For us. He's for us. This, this language here is, is similar to the, the, a husband and a wife relationship. Men, let me ask you in the room this morning. Would you share the intimacy and the affection of your wife with another man? I'm assuming that all of us would say, No, never, may it never be. Well, why? Because you've entered into a covenant together, Right? You've taken vows. You've committed yourselves to one another. You have vowed to behave and act in certain ways. And so you have made this covenant before the eyes of God and man. And you have essentially said, because of this commitment, I refuse to share my affection with any other but you. And guys, that is the exact same language that God uses for his church and his people. He says, you are mine. Don't share your affections with any other thing but me. We have been bought with a price. And the price is the precious blood of Jesus Christ that is more valuable than any gold or silver that is out there. God has given the very best that he had to save his people, to purchase them, to redeem them. And as Paul would say, we are now slaves of Christ, love that second corinthians ten I love paul 's language there. He essentially tells the, the the Corinthian believers this: He says, "I have betrothed you to one husband as a pure virgin to Christ. See Paul had a divine jealousy over the Corinthian believers, much in the same way that God has a divine jealousy over us, not to share the affections with with another see here 's the problem. The problem is this, as John Piper would say, we are prone to making idols out of anything. It is in our bent and our sinful nature to want to worship something. And the problem is, is we often choose the wrong thing. And we make idols out of anything. I see it happen, man. I see two people, two young people that are, that are dating. They're in love. They want to get married. And here's that, that young girl. She may come from a broken home. And she's got a bad relationship, a bad file with her father. And here she is. She's getting married. And she looks at that young man and she believes with all of her heart that he is going to meet and feel every need and void that her father did not meet. So they get married. With all of that expectation and six months in, Their marriage is going to pot, and they wanted to get a divorce, and they think that they've made a mistake, and they married the wrong person. And she is extremely hurt because this man does not fulfill everything. The problem is that he was never designed to. And this is just one example. We do that with a number of different things. On the way into Monroe this morning, I saw a big Popeye's chicken sign that said, Welcome to Louisiana. Uh, you know, Popeye's chicken, the comfort food. <laughs> you know, if, it, it, am I the only one that's ever comfort ate in here? <laughs> you know? I mean, we run to stuff that's never designed to feel. It, it, it feel. If, if you think that uh, appearance, if, if you make appearance, you're idle, you'll never be pretty enough. If you make money, you're idle, you'll never have enough money. If you make success your idol, you'll never be powerful enough. It will never, ever be enough. And, and here's the thing that dawned on me this morning: the desire that we have for these idols, all right? By by design, they demand perfection. They demand it. But isn't it ironic that the only supreme, divine, perfect being is God, because He is the one that is designed to fill. i love the words to richard blanchard's great hymn fill my cup i've been singing this song a lot lately i love this song he says this like the woman at the well i was seeking for things that could not satisfy and then i heard my savior speaking draw from my well that shall never run dry fill my cup lord i lift it up Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. And here's my favorite part. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, lift it up, and make me whole. In view of the mercies of God, let us recognize that we serve the one, true, and only God. And he is a jealous God. Don't give your affections to any other. Number three, in view of the mercies of God, let us not only fear the Lord, recognize him, but let us also choose him. Look with me quickly at verse 15, it says, And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Two things that I want us to see very quickly from this passage. Notice, first of all, that Israel is being told to choose. You see, historically, it's been God choosing Israel. Remember Deuteronomy 7? I've set my love on you, not because you were beautiful or more powerful than any other nation. I chose you, right? We're good Calvinists in here. We understand election language. God has historically been choosing Israel. And now he's told them, you choose. It's very interesting because this is very similar language to me that we find in Matthew 16. Remember when Jesus is walking with his disciples and he says, Um, who do people say that I am? They say, well, some say John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, another prophet. But he says, no, no, but who do you say that I am? What a zinger, man. Jesus knew how to throw some zingers. What a question. Who do you say that I am? See, because at the end of the day, It doesn't matter what anybody else says or thinks about Christ. What do you say? You choose, Israel. See, I know that the day is coming that I'm going to have to look at my children in the face and say, look, you were baptized in the church. You were raised in the church. We talked about God in this home. We raised you. We tried to put Christ in front of you as many different ways as we could. But you're going to have to decide once and once and for all, What are you going to do with Jesus Christ? It's not off of my faith. What a choice. They are simply being asked this, to remember God's history and to determine whether or not that proves his superiority over all other deities. The simple question is this, is God worth it? It's a simple question, is he worth it? And guys, it's the same question that was asked in the Garden of Eden. Now, the story, Satan comes. If you will just eat, take a bite of that, you will see everything that God is withholding from you. If you just, if you just disobey him one time, you'll see that he's being mean and he's withholding things from you. All of this is better. And every time... One of us falls into sin. It's the exact same temptation every single time. The question is this. Will you choose to follow and obey God? Or will you choose something else? And every time we fall into sin and we indulge that, we're essentially saying, this is better. This is better. It's the same choice. What a choice. Some of you may be familiar with uh, Nicholas Sparks. Uh, romantic novels Message in a bottle Notebook and all of that um, I am not a fan actually But I, 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 uh, I have read some some things about him And one of the books that he wrote Was called The Choice Some of you may be familiar with that book And that movie It was made into a movie Essentially here's the plot of the movie There's two young people They get together They get married um, Everything's going well All of a sudden she has a car accident She goes into a coma And he's faced with a choice Does he keep her in long-term care, or does he pull the plug? If you've seen the movie, you know the story. It's all good. And, and I just got to thinking about it. as I was preparing this message. I thought about that plot there, and I just, I got to reel with myself, and I said, I cannot even imagine making that kind of choice with my wife. What a difficult decision to make. And that decision changes everything in your life. But the more I thought about that, I realized, yeah, that would change my life. But you know, the, the greatest choice that will ever impact and change my life is what I choose to do with Christ. That decision and that decision alone will change the entire trajectory of your life. I am standing in this pulpit today because of decisions I made for Christ. It will change everything. As we conclude this morning... Here's here's essentially what I want us to do. Just take a moment and think about some of the blessings and the graces that God has given you. See, here in this passage, Joshua is reminding Israel of God's faithfulness and his goodness and his provision. And he's saying, look, in view of those things, fear the Lord. Walk reverently before him. Recognize that there's one God only. You serve Him and He's jealous for you. Don't give your affections to another. And He's saying, choose Him, serve Him. We have been blessed beyond measure from the mundane things in our life, waking up with breath in our lungs. I mean, we awoke this morning and our house was not burned down. Simple things, guys. We got in a car and the didn't get a flat tire, clothes to wear, simple things, even music. Did you know that even music is a gift from God? I love Fernando Ortega. He's one of my favorite artists. His music is so calming to me. I just love to hear him sing those hymns. But I listen to a guy like Fernando Ortega, and I'm listening, I'm thinking, what, this is a blessing and a gift from God on a day when I have had a hard day. Music's a gift. What about memories with your loved ones? Laughter with your family and your kids. That's a gift, guys. None of that is deserved. But you know the number one gift that we've ever been given? And it is the gift of Jesus Christ. God the Father sends the Son on a mission to the earth to redeem and save those that were elected before the foundation of the world, to gather His church, to deliver them out of bondage and sin, to die a criminal's death on a cross, to take their place and become the wrath-bearing substitute for sin. He deposits His righteousness into this. And then He ushers us into the presence of Almighty God that we may have right relationship and fellowship with him. What a gift. We understand in this room. Salvation is a gift from God. Everything. From beginning to end. The question is. What will you and I do. With such a great gift. You choose something else. You choose Christ. My prayer for you is this morning. That you would follow the example of Joshua. Verse 15, he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh, what our churches would look like if we had a, a, a buildings full of people with men who said, that is my resolve. Men that stood up and said, as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. doesn't matter if I'm the only one in the room. Doesn't matter if doesn't matter what anybody else says. May you be like Paul as he said, whatever I have gained in this life I count it as a loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. My prayer for you this morning is that in view of the mercies of God to us that you would fear the Lord, walk reverently before Him, that you would recognize Him as the only God in your life, don't give your desires and affections to any other, that you would choose Him so that we may be filled up with the bread of life and feed on him. Let us pray together. Father, in response to your word, we, we thank you for your word. And we pray, God, that you would impress this on our hearts. Help us to remember Help us, Lord, to not forget the, even the day-to-day blessings and graces that you pour out on us every day. But ultimately, let us not forget Jesus Christ. And because of that, let it cause us to respond in worship in a worthy manner. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
1: In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm the faith of the one church of Jesus Christ throughout history and throughout the world, as we say together the Apostles' Creed. Christian, in whom do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost.